Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, we're speaking with Hun and Vishnu from Trello about their adoption of Kotlin and developing a visual collaboration app for a phone. Hi, guys, and welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Hey there. Could you guys introduce yourselves a little bit and you know, give us some background on what you each do at, at Trello? You can go first. Go for it. Okay, cool. <laughs> How kind of you. Um, hi, I'm Huynh Nguyen Dao. I am an Android developer, and I've been with Trello for, I think, about a year and a half um, and just working on the Android application. Yep, and I'm Vishnu. Um, I'm also an Android developer, and I've been with Trello for just under a year and a half. Oh, so you more or less joined around the same time, uh, right? Yeah. Within four months of each other, like four or five um, months. Yeah, 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 something like that. Cool. And for the audience that doesn't know what Trello is, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people already know, right? I was at the almost a, on the Android app the other day, and I saw that you guys already have over a million downloads. That must be that must feel awesome, right? To to have over a million people use your uh, your application. But could you just give a quick summary of what Trello is? Uh, so we like to think of Trello as a, uh, a way to have shared perspective with uh, the team that you collaborate with. Um, it sort of can act as the, the map or the source of truth for your project or anything. And that's when you're working with the team, but it also works as you know an application for, for individuals. I personally use it. Um, currently, I'm trying to buy a house, so I use it to track all of the MLS listings that um, I'm currently looking at and things like that. So it's sort of a... Uh, collaboration tool, but also a organization tool for individuals. Yeah, it's meant to be very open, and you can use it in many different ways. So, as like you know, you you mentioned as as, we, as Vish mentioned too, that we use it on our team for issue tracking, but we also use it kind of for broader uh, kind of milestones and roadmaps. And then again, too, like I individually use it for things too, like my. Uh, fancy and, and I use it to kind of organize our chores, and I use it to kind of like map out talks or other things that I'm working on. So it's it's very open. So it steps outside a little bit of the scope of software and IT, right? Um, I mean, you've got customers that reach, you know, of many different fields, so to speak. Yeah, that's absolutely definitely. okay. And is the software slash IT still the largest customer base? Would you say? Actually, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but we're yeah. pretty well distributed, if I if I understand correctly. Yeah, we have actually a lot of different um, types of clients, and I I know some of the, like the our largest clients that we kind of you know like like to brag about um, on on our website include like not just IT companies, but like um, I think even like Fender, Fender guitars. Um, I think I'm trying to I, I don't want to like miss misname something, but there's actually a widespread of people that use our product. So I I don't even know. I think we'd have to ask someone that's not an engineer the exact numbers, but it's actually pretty the 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 breadth. And the, the 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 breadth of our customers is actually pretty wide. The reason I ask is because this was started by Joe Spolsky, who you know everyone knows more or less from the software mm -hmm. field, right? So it's interesting that it kind of steps outside of the bounds of the software field because the first time I encountered it, it was kind of you know this is a visual agile board, mm -hmm. so to speak, right? Yeah, it was. I, I believe like depending on like who you talk to, a lot of times you'll read about it and it was the board was inspired by the kind of like the Kanban like you know the, the Kanban process but I, I think that initially there was a desire to make it more than just about software development um, and that's kind of been one of I think one of our proudest points and kind of something that a lot of times people will ask us is like you know well it, and there's a lot of focus on it as again, like, yeah, again, like an algebra board or like a Kanban kind of thing, but it really is about just 
project management and and kind of yeah like visualizing your task in your kind of way so and and we're we're pretty explicit about this is that it's not just for software development and even I think we can go far as to say it software development is not our focus. It's it's not like we are gearing this towards other engineers and other kind of issue, like kind of we're not targeting it as an issue tracker at all. It's it's meant to be kind of what you want it to be. Okay. And now recently, of course, Trello's been bought by Atlassian, right? <laughs> That's right. <Yep. laughs> yeah. So and how does this fit into the overall picture of, you know, because obviously Atlassian has Jira and they have their um, board, which I think is called Green Green mm -hmm. Hopper or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, how does this fit into the picture? What we pictures ourselves as, and Atlassian pictures us as, is um, so they have Confluence on one end of the spectrum, which is like totally unstructured data, uh, blog posts, things like that, and they've got Jira on the other side, which is you know heavily um, structured and process oriented, and we sort of fit right in the middle. We have just enough structure for. Um, issue tracking and things like that, but we can also be used as a content storage or you know content distribution across teams. Um, so we fit right in between those two products. Okay, that makes sense. And of course, we are on talking Kotlin, so you know let's bring Kotlin <laughs> into the picture. And you guys have written Trello. Is it using Kotlin or is it partially using Kotlin or have you recently adopted Kotlin? Sure. Give me the outline on that. Um, yeah, we are partially using Kotlin. Uh, we recently adopted it, I, I guess, maybe uh, it was, six. It was October. It was October yeah, okay. of last year. October of last year, cool. And uh, if you look at like our um, language distribution, it's about 15% Kotlin now across the whole code base. And this is a pretty old and large code base. So we're pretty proud of that 15%. Yeah, and we're doing it kind of in an incremental in an incremental fashion. So I think it's, I think we could say that most of our new features, any new code that we put in is pretty much exclusively Kotlin, um, apart from anything that we, you know, we have to add to existing kind of Java files, but we're, we're like totally into Kotlin. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely all in. That's nice to hear. Where, where did you start? Did, did it start with tests or did you just start with a feature? Uh, we just started, I think tests were sort of the main entry point. Um, we had to convert a couple of files in the main code base just to get the Kotlin compiler to run in those modules, but that was more of a, a previous bug that's been fixed since then. Uh, but yeah, we did start with tests a little bit, and um, since then have just it's sort of infected. It's just gone. It's a it's a it's been viral <laughs> in our in our code base. It's amazing. Well, if, if I could actually step back. So actually, Vish's very first week, we were all in our headquarters in New York together. And Vish, I think that was like just something that you brought up your very first week is like, hey, like maybe we should start using Kotlin. And what do you remember what month that was? That was yeah, that was that was towards the end of March 2016. Okay. And and I think that you actually suggested, hey, why don't we do test as a kind of a good entry point, you know, like into our, our kind of um, what do you say, our gateway drug into using yeah. Kotlin. <laughs> And it, it kind of took us a while because we had a big project, um, kind of, we had, we had this big offline initiative going. So we really didn't quite kind of go full bore. And I think, I'm, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember it was October because um, for, for different reasons, but it was like one week in October, I think, um, I forgot who it was, but we all kind of, maybe Dan Liu, our, our esteemed colleague, Dan Liu on our team with, or we all decided, okay, we're, we're going to do Kotlin now. And I think we had a couple of new features that came in. So like one of our colleagues is doing a big rewrite. Um, Joe is doing a big kind of like push uh, refactoring. And we had some other kind of new features come in. And so it was just a great point to say, hey, let's just do this in Kotlin. 
Um, and then we didn't kind of all do it together. I think, you know, Vishy were already kind of, Vish has, always, Vish has kind of been like, I call him Captain Kotlin, um, Captain with a K, um, because he's really been pushing us. But then I think as each of us have kind of gotten the opportunity to kind of hop on new things is like when we've kind of individually started to get on the, the Kotlin boat. So. Uh, and the reason I was asking about testing is because, you know, as you know, a lot of languages, every time you say, oh, let's adopt a new language, oh, let's start with test because it's kind of isolated. It's not going to get in the way. It doesn't really, you know, mess with things. If, if we push into production, it's fine. Uh, but given the strong focus that Kotlin has around interop and, you know, seemingly, you know, using Java from Kotlin or Kotlin from Java, I was curious if you guys also took the approach of test or just said, you know what, let's just start throwing in some classes in Kotlin and see how it goes. Yeah, sure. And there was actually one more motivating factor is at the time, due to how the annotation processor worked, um, bringing it into the main module increased our compilation time by quite a bit. Um, so by keeping it localized in test, we were able to play with the language, but not affect our daily compilation time for just deployment um, and testing, like so for like device testing. Um, but since then with uh, with capped three uh, and the incremental support, everything's gotten a lot better. And what enticed you? Um, because from my understanding, I'm Captain Kotlin from now on, I'll call you. Um, what enticed you around Kotlin? Like what was the little trigger that said, oh, I, I got to you know, start playing sure. with this? Um, and I think it's a common trigger that a lot of people in the in the field felt was that when Jake Wharton released that document in 2015, um, at the time I was at an agency and the agency was adopting Swift and I had played with Swift a lot and I really liked the language and I was starting to feel sort of, you know, the, the age of Java or something. It just like felt like I wanted to try something new. And then that document came out and I was like, this sounds pretty great. So that was about when I started using it on personal projects and side stuff. Um, we attempted to look at it for the agency, but the, the model for our agency was that we were actually um, shipping the code to the client. So they weren't able to uh, manage learning a new language on their side. So we had to stick with Java for all my professional work. But I just sort of kept going with Kotlin personally and then when i got to trello seriously within the first three weeks or so i was like hey we should look at trello and uh sort of got everyone's mind thinking about it Kotlin, you mean oh yeah sorry <laughs> you did say that you kind of started with testing do you still use do you still use Kotlin for testing are you i mean are you, i'm assuming that you are using testing and you are testing your your, your android applications yeah, right sure. Yeah. And are you using Kotlin or any specific framework or just plain old JUnit? Um, I believe it's just plain old JUnit. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. But the code is still written in Kotlin for the yeah. test, right? Okay. And talking a little bit about the architecture. So one of the things I noticed uh, when I downloaded the application, I was playing with it. Uh, because I actually use it um, for um, for a project that I have um, from with an external thing, and I have to say it's really really smooth. So great job on that, <laughs> really nice. And it's got like the ability to do this drag and drop inside an, a, a small screen. Effectively, you know, a device is, is great. So kudos on that. You guys have done a great job. And I was just curious, was that you know, is it challenging to have that kind of nice interface? in terms of you know development yeah definitely i mean um i think we 
we're missing kind of one of the people that can really speak to that right now today. Um, but it, it is def a definite challenge, um, especially for something like drag, drag and drop. I think usually touch and gestures are some of the things that can be most daunting, especially when you're doing something highly custom. And so it is challenging, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm not the one working on it right now, so I, I probably can't say, but um, in general, especially like this kind of like highly customized and kind of specific behavior can be really challenging to do. Um, and also as well, not, not it's not just like implementing it and getting it to work, but getting to work nicely and to make it work well under different situations and under different like loads. Like, um, again, I can't really speak to it myself because someone else on our team, Joe, is working on it. But, um, and, uh, you know, things come into play like data and like how many images, you know, like the content and like the amount of data and the amount of images on the screen, it's, it, it can get very challenging. And, and a lot of times you'll start kind of working on interface and you'll you'll kind of come overcome the technical challenges and the API challenges of like, how do I get this thing to work? And then once you get kind of like a basic functionality, then you're dealing with the actual kind of loads that, you know, like actual um, real loads that you would deal with in terms of actual user data. So there's just, it's, it's a pain. <laughs> yeah. We've definitely seen, we have a couple of test boards that we use that are just like um, heavily, they have a lot of cards, so they, they render heavy. Um, and the way that it's a lot of, the code is pretty old. Um, it works amazing. It's performant, but, Maintenance has been kind of tough. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've been looking at sort of refactoring and rewriting. And Kotlin has helped us with uh, creating a more functional pipeline into getting mm -hmm. um, into building all those screens. Um, and it's really helping our load times on boards um, with a lot of cards and a lot of images and things like that. If you're using Kotlin or planning to, make sure you check out KotlinConf a conference taking place in sunny San Francisco on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. It's a two-day event packed with Kotlin content by industry experts with keynotes from Andre Breslav and Eric Meyer. So whether it's back-end, front-end, mobile, or native, KotlinConf is the place to be this year. That's KotlinConf, C-O-N-F dot com. Hope to see you there. Well, it definitely is challenging, right? Because I mean, you have to, you know, your whole application evolves around the key selling point, which is this is a visual collaborative tool that I can get a bird's eye view of my project by looking at cards on a board, mm -hmm. right? How do I represent that on a small screen and also make it usable? So yeah, as I said, I mean, kudos, it's, it's very well done. And what underlying architecture and patterns do you use for this? I mean, you said you were talking recently that you were looking at doing some um, offline uh, uh, you know, capabilities. Yep. How is this architected sure. underneath, under the covers? Um, so we recently just pushed the offline support. Uh, that was back in like early March, I believe. Um, and Dan has written a couple of blog posts on the Trello blog for the more technical details. But the main idea is that we've sort of disconnected the UI from the network. Uh, it really believes that the database, our on, onboard database is the source of truth. And uh, it receives updates via like our repositories that we have in the code base. Um, and that's what pushes updates towards the UI. And it's all RxJava, which if you didn't know, Trello is very in for RxJava on Android. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, RxJava is pretty common, right, across Android developers, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very popular uh, framework and library 
that's being utilized. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, they actually originated many years ago from uh, C Sharp. It's amazing how, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, you know, people using it in C Sharp. It was called reactive extensions mm -hmm. back then. But I think the popularity of reactive extensions and such, Rx, has kind of, you know, blossomed when Rx Java came out and it's been ported to so many different platforms. Um, so it is, uh, it's definitely quite successful. And now that you have this offline functionality and you're getting store, you're storing everything on the on the uh, client. I assume that at regular intervals, it's then syncing with the back end, right? Yeah. Yes. Does it essentially kind of think that it's continuously offline and then in the background sync, or does it fall back to offline functionality when it doesn't have a connection? It's a little bit of both right now. We're um, so Trello's core functionality comes via socket updates. Um, and those sockets write to the DB and then the DB tells the UI. So the UI in most situations believes it's offline. Um, there's a couple of things I believe where we still check for network connectivity to make sure that we have the functionality offline. Um, but yeah, most of the time the UI does not really know whether or not it's online. And in terms of libraries, uh, specifically with Kotlin, you guys have heard of Anko, right? Yeah. Yes. Do you use it? Um, not in the Trello project. You use it somewhere else or? Um, so I've used it, I forgot when that was. It was like a year ago. Uh, I think when Anko 0.4, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I tried it out um, and I it felt too different, I guess. I'm not entirely sure. I just didn't really gel with it. So I used it on a single project just to test it out and then went back to what I was comfortable with. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, that's the general feedback. I mean, don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, completely forget the idea that this is a, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, I was just curious because uh, the majority of people that I ask kind of say the, the same thing, you know, it just didn't gel with me, you know, it didn't fit in with, with me. I mean, personally, if I were to do Android development, I probably wouldn't use it either. Uh, so, but um, one of the things that we we were discussing, and when I was talking to Jake uh, back on one of these shows very early on, was that we are kind of splitting that up. So you have the visual interface or the visual builder mm -hmm. part, and then you have all of the other functionality. That unfortunately now a lot of people think that it's all or nothing, mm -hmm. right? But there's a bunch of uh, functions and extension functions that come in useful for when you're doing Android development. Um, so, you know, that's going to be split off. And and the other thing that I was going to ask is the Android extensions plugin that, that we have, which allows you to essentially, you know, strongly reference a control as opposed to doing the whole find by view and passing in the the name of the control. Is that something you use as well or you stay away from that too? Um, so with the Kotlin extensions, I believe in the Trello project, because we have Butterknife already, um, utilized in, in like the Java code bases, we're just sticking with using that in Kotlin, um, since it works and it keeps the, the code style and the code paradigms a little bit, even across the, uh, the Java code base and the Kotlin code base. Um, but I do use the, the extensions in personal projects. 
with regard to Kotlin, uh, you've been using it now for what? From October, so roughly eight months, right? Mm -hmm. More or less. I've lost track of time. Yeah, more or less. Seven months uh, inside the application. What are your general thoughts? Was it good? Was it bad? What's missing? What's not? Are you happy? Are you sad? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I'll start because for me, um, I did not use Kotlin before, you know, we started using it at work. And I mean, I, 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 I don't want to sound too like cheerleadery about it, but it's been an amazing experience for me. I, I think so. I, my, so my dark secret is that I used to also do iOS development and I actually switched kind of like my last big context, which was when Swift first came out. And I think I've always had this desire to do substantial, you know, work in a modern language. So this was really exciting for me. Just, just the idea of being able to use a modern language for work. Um, and for me, I, I think I, I, I have to say I'm totally into it. I, I will avoid writing Java now whenever I possibly can. Um, if, if I can do it. And I think at least for me, and I think overall, I think we're all very enthusiastic about it. And I think we're having a really good time um, working with Kotlin and not just from kind of like the idea of being able to reduce boilerplate and write kind of more efficient code. And not just from the idea that, you know, we now have a much more kind of defined and I guess strict way of dealing with like nullability and things like that. But I think in general, we've had just a really good time kind of um, kind of exploring a new language and coming up with, you know, like, and, and having discussions on how we do things and how we can implement things better or differently or in more interesting ways with Kotlin. I mean, it, it's been fun. Like, I, it, we just are constantly having great discussions about how do we do this? How do we do that? Um, Vish, how do I do this? Vish, how do I do that? Or kind of just having different discussions on how we kind of translate concepts that um, were in Java you know, like, I don't know, things like how do we deal with like builder patterns? How do we do this? Like we had a discussion like two weeks ago about immutability and how do we handle those things in Kotlin? So it's been a very engaging experience, I feel like. So we don't just get like the benefit of the language, but we also get a lot of, I guess, just neat, just things to do as a team and things to think about as a team. Yeah. And it's actually, it's been pretty exciting because for me, I'd been doing this by myself for so long. So, you know, an individual creativity only goes so far. <laughs> but but things that come up as a team have been amazing. Like I'll try and do something and then I'll post it up and then Dan or Joe will realize that there's some Kotlin operator or some combination of Kotlin functions that can just in two lines do what I did in four or five. And it's been really fun, like that creativity kicks in when you have all of these operators and all these functions available. Um, and that has been super eye-opening. Like the my learning curve, if you were to look at it over two years, has just been like exponential since we picked it up in the Trello project. Do you feel there is more, uh, okay, let, well, let me rephrase this. Like you're using Kotlin now, right? It's to all effects, you could call it the new shiny. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Do you think that this new shiny feeling will last? Um. Personally, I think it will. It's not even, I, it was new shiny, but now it's sort of taking the language and the constructs and creating something, utilizing these new tools. And like, it really feels good as an engineer then that we have all of these, this toolbox is now like huge and it's available and it's, you know, safe and it's clean. So I think that's where, for me, that's my why I'm most enthusiastic about it. Yeah, and I, I think like it's I, 
I, I kind of feel sometimes that I, I am kind of experiencing the shiny, but I think that, that the things that are good about it are very fundamental and that the benefits that we're getting out of it have, or, you know, like we just already talked about aren't just from the language, but it's just a way of us to kind of like discuss things and look at things differently. And I think that won't go away. And I think that it's kind of in, in a sense, like helped us kind of like, it, I, I feel like it, it's kind of part of our process now, this kind of discussion and developing our own conventions and our own ways of doing things. I, I think it just improves us as a team and our dynamic just to be able to discuss these things and having, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll run out of things to talk about. I don't, I don't see that happening, but even if we did, I think that it has engaged us um, all as like engineers and maybe creative people. And it's just kind of like, it, it's just a good way of kind of expressing kind of our, our, our own kind of individual point of view in terms of engineering and software design. Um, and I, I think it just helped that way. I, I just, I, I personally feel like a lot more open in many ways. Like um, I'm a bit shy, but I think Kotlin has given me a, a chance just personally, just to kind of be like, Hey, you know, like what about this new thing? Or like, Hey, like, you know, we're all kind of new at this. Let's kind of talk about how we think about different things and come to a consensus on things. And I think that's very valuable as a team. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great point of view, right? I mean, you know, it's, if it's engaging conversations, if it's engaging, um, better and closer collaboration those are those are great things my point around the new shiny i mean you you don't 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 take this the wrong way i mean i'm i'm doing the talking kotlin <laughs> podcast right i'm not <laughs> trying to put the language down or far from it like this is my bread and butter essentially in one way or another uh but it was more like you know is this gonna last uh but uh yeah and i think that what the other question that i kind of was trying to lead into is you say that you know you discuss things around immutability and stuff like that. Have you felt this kind of uh, phase of right? We're adopting Kotlin. We're kind of writing Kotlin code in a Javesque, if that's a word, <laughs> way. And now let's try and examine some of the more functional aspects and more move more towards a functional approach. Is that something that you've been experiencing? Yeah, definitely, yes, totally. Um, uh, the the Trello so our like transition was sort of writing Kotlin in a like idiomatic Java style for a while, and then we slowly started bringing in these functions and these functional patterns, and like I think Dan mentioned it once, it was like Kotlin is sort of this Trojan horse. It's like you you just get a better Java at first, but then you realize it comes in with a whole bunch of functional concepts and constructs to help clean up the code base and and keep it safe. Um, so that's definitely happening on our end. That's a nice uh, comparison, Trojan. <laughs> in, in a good, good way, way, yeah. A good Trojan <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, Hun, you mentioned iOS, and I assumed that you were doing Swift, right, which is uh, better like you enjoyed it more well, than no i, I actually see. missed out on the swift boat i think the last time i was actually doing ios that month was when swift was announced and then um I, I just happened to be on a dual platform project and they needed android developers way more than they needed ios developers this was like back five years ago when we were android developer jobs were a bit more scarce and android developers were more scarce so i ended up being unable to try swift um but i remember a lot of the kind of feedback that i got or not feedback but a lot of the kind of hype, I guess, that I heard back then. And so it, it was more just like a desire. Um, so I have no basis for comparison, though. I, I often hear people trying to compare Swift with Kotlin. 
Yeah, and there's a famous blog post uh, which is, you know, uh, Kotlin is the yeah. Swift mm -hmm. of Android. Uh, but the, you guys do have an iOS application, yes. right? Okay, and and that's written in Swift or is it written in Objective C? It's a C? it's a mixture. Mixture. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, so you might have heard recently that we announced uh, Kotlin mm -hmm. native, and obviously one of our targets eventually is going to be iOS. How does that sound uh, to you guys as as a as a company as a team? Well, uh, you know, I, I mean. I'm guessing that if you guys like Kotlin and you're on the Android team, it's great. But what do you see that realistically in terms of, you know, the iOS team saying, okay, let's, um, let's try out Kotlin now. Uh, I can, I can imagine one of our guys would like, they'd like to try it. Uh, the, our, the folks on our team are pretty good about trying new things, but mm -hmm. they're very, if I were to, if like, they're very pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm looking at it from the other end, like if Swift suddenly worked on Android, I'm not entirely sure what I would feel toward using it um, because it wouldn't be something that would be supported on Apple's end, I guess. And they're very tight, like tight-lipped about things, I feel, or like... Mm -hmm. Walled so. garden-y type Type yeah, things. and I mean, we, we have such a massive code base. I mean, I, I haven't really dug around too much on the iOS side. Um, but we have such massive code bases. I think that huge switches um, in platform like that become very intimidating. And but I mean, at the same time, you know, like Vish said, um, I think one of the benefits of our team is that we're both sides are very into trying new things. That's how we ended up on Kotlin. Um, but uh, yeah, speculating what they would say, I, I like interest but hesitation. I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if not, we could just do a show called Talking to you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Honestly, I've been trying to get our uh, one of the folks, one of the guys on our web team, I've been trying to get him to do Kotlin JS for a while, but he's really adamant about sticking oh, with, uh, <laughs> with ES6 or whatever JavaScript is doing this week. Just keep working him. He'll just, just break him down, break him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what JavaScript is doing today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's actually funny because I read a blog post uh, recently from someone that had uh, posted. Um, I think it was it was actually Slack. Uh, they had recently moved over to TypeScript, mm. and they were talking about you know this amazing concept of a statically typed language. <laughs> and I'm you know <laughs> just sometimes you just have to take a really big sigh and say, okay, like I know I've been experiencing this for many many years and it's it's fantastic but okay like yeah. told you so it's okay yeah i don't no, i don't you, you don't want to say no. i told you so but That's you're thinking it you're thinking so... it you're like screaming it in your head no. yeah. this actually came up in like a chat today it was like i think people fear the compiler for so long that they went to javascript and now they're like learning to trust the compiler like have trust that it's got your back it's there for you um and that's why I think Kotlin is pretty nice about that too. Yeah, but I think what you know, until the end of time, we'll have this debate of dynamic versus static. I mean, it just goes in cycles, oh, yeah. right? I remember when Ruby came out, it was like, oh my God, Ruby gives you this expressiveness and this freedom, and you could do everything you want. And then, you know, ten years later, oh my God, I've got this massive code base, and I, you know, 
tooling doesn't work properly and I need to refactor and what <laughs> am I going to do? Um, so it just goes back and forth. It's great, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's makes the whole uh, industry so much more mm -hmm. fun. So so what have you guys got planned next? Where are you uh, heading? Are you going to uh, because we're recording this in May, right before Google I/O? Are you going to we Google sure I/O? We are. We're taking everybody. The whole team. <laughs> we're sending everyone. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I wonder what they've got in store there. Anyway, well, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you once again for coming on and uh, hope to meet you both in person at Absolutely. some point. Absolutely. Thank Sounds you so great. much for having us. Yeah, thanks.